Hi, Psychodrama listeners. Welcome to another episode. The past two years have marked a significant shift in labor practices across the developed world. In the US, the term the Great Resignation has been used to denote the historically high numbers of people leaving their jobs to pursue other interests and work as job vacancies also remain historically high. Much to many people's surprise, this phenomenon has extended to academia. Now, it is a surprise because for many years, those in academia referred to it as the best job in the world. It was an occupation that allowed individuals to pursue their own interests and provide significant autonomy, and for those in tenure track, the possibility of a very stable, protected employment virtually unavailable in any other industry or setting. However, the career resignation has extended to academia. In the next two to three episodes, we're attempting to do a brief series that captures the various voices of individuals leaving academia for other pursuits. Given our expertise, our guests are psychologists. We are aware that this may seem to narrow the topic significantly. However, we hope that the diverse background of our guests and the fact that they are psychologists may help provide a special insight into their own motivations and a unique view into the great resignation as they explain why they decided to leave the best job in the world. Our first guest in our Living Las Academia series is Dr. Nelson Zun Lame, who actually posted his resignation letter from a counseling psychology position at the University of Kentucky on Twitter, and that is how we first contacted him. As you will hear, Dr. Zun Lame is a first-generation college student, a child of immigrants, and a native of South Bend, Indiana. He earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology and a master's degree in learning science education psychology track and a PhD in Counseling Psychology from Indiana University. He's a former McNair Scholar, a Ford Foundation Fellow, Herman B. Wells Graduate Fellow, and until recently, an Assistant Professor in the Counseling Psychology Department at the University of Kentucky. He published the book, Letters to My Sisters and Brothers, Practical Advice to Successfully Navigate Academia as a Student of Color. And currently, he has channeled his passion for studying academic persistence and mental wellness to promote holistic healing among Black, Indigenous, and people of color in his new enterprise, Liberate the Block, or LTB as he calls it, to, in his words, help BIPOC communities liberate themselves and achieve their wildest dreams. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. Welcome to Psychodrama Podcast. This is Katie. And this is Leo. Hi, how Katie. Are you how are you? Good. How are you, Leo? Pretty, it looks like we're off to a great start already, stepping at each other's lines. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually very excited about uh, this, uh, this episode because it's something we've been talking about a lot and it's been in the air, um, especially if you're in academic Twitter. Uh, a lot of people have been, they call it you know, part of the greater resignation. A lot of people are leaving academia, which is interesting. Because uh, especially when we were in grad school, people often spoke about academia as being like kind of one of the greatest jobs that you can have for many reasons. And that seemed to be the case. But now it's been, and there's a, a great reckoning in this area. And I thought it would be very fitting to have an episode on it. And we reached out uh, to a, a couple of people. And one of them was uh, Dr. Nelson Zunlame, uh, who is, was at the University of Kentucky and actually posted his resignation letter on Twitter. And we thought it was very poignant and interesting and telling. And we reached out to him 
uh, all, on Twitter, and he was gracious enough to, to be here with us today so to talk about his process. So thank you so much and welcome, Nelson. Yes. How are yeah. you? Yeah, thank you both so much. I'm doing well. Um, how are you both doing? Good. I'm excited to have this conversation yeah. today. I, I really am. I, I appreciate it. Like Leo said, I, I think Twitter has been really, there are a lot of things, negatives of Twitter. However, right. one of the positives <laughs> is that we can hear more from different people and different perspectives. And I think that that's been nice. I know that early career people and folks that are in graduate school have said they really appreciate some of the openness and transparency mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. showed us on, on Twitter. And so I'd love to talk into more detail yeah. about that. But I maybe we could start by asking um, what made you decide to also share on Twitter about your resignation? Yeah. So again, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation as well and hope that other folks can just benefit from, from um, this, this chat we're having. So in terms of deciding to, to post it, it was something that um, I was ambivalent about for a while, right? It's something, especially in academia, as you know, you had mentioned earlier, right? Academic jobs, tenure track jobs are like the holy grail, right? When it comes to to, uh, to yeah. academia. Um, and, you know, it, it also kind of felt weird too, knowing that I was quitting my job at a time where a lot of folks were trying to get jobs, right? And and so, you know, part of me was like, oh, I, I don't want, you know, to, to overshadow some of that. And at the same time, there's a big movement going on in academia where a lot of folks, especially BIPOC folks, those with marginalized identities who have been mistreated in the system for decades, right, are finally not putting up with it anymore. Um, You know, we see other opportunities in industry or in, you know, just some other facet of society to have a better environment and have a better work-life balance. And so I wanted to at least be transparent about my process to let people know that I was leaving and why I was leaving. Because I think oftentimes in academic spaces, you know, a lot of these important conversations aren't had in the light, right? They're, They're had behind closed doors, they're happening in secret. It's like, oh, did you know so-and-so left? And did you know why, right? And all this secrecy, you know, to me, that is, uh, you know, the impact of which um, protects the system. And it protects a lot of these, you know, um, atrocities, you know, and, and I use that that word not lightly, that happen in academic spaces um, that are commonplace to us who are in those spaces. But, you know, when you try to publicize that, you often get uh, attacked or critiqued or alienated, or at least risk those things. And so, you know, it was definitely one of those uh, moments where I was like, you know, is, is, is there going to be some blowback, some pushback from my university or from peers or my mentors or, you know, advisors and things like that, just because I'm sharing, you know, this, this thing that typically wouldn't be shared publicly, uh, but thankfully received a lot of support. I mean, you all reached out, so that's really cool, you know, and, and a, a lot of folks way more than I thought um, appreciative that I had shared this. Um, and so that was really cool for me to see. Thank you. Yeah, that's, I feel like there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> And I wonder if um, maybe we can take, we can make it, make it a circle, right? So maybe we can, now that you told us kind of how the story ends, maybe <laughs> where did it start? Let's tell us a little bit about maybe your background, mm-hmm. what, uh, what attracted you to counseling psychology? Yeah. And I, and I tend to be long-winded a bit, so feel free to just cut me off <laughs> oh, if, I'm, yeah. if I'm getting Welcome away from your the, point. You're yeah. in the perfect spot. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I, I will. That's our brand. <laughs> I would do my best to be brief. But so my my story, I always like to tell people my story starts well before me. My family is from originally from Benin, West Africa. My parents um, came to the U.S. about 30 years or so um, ago. I was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, um, but I was, you know, born low SES, um, a lot of issues just from being born black and being an immigrant and child of immigrants and different things like that. Um, but I saw a lot of mental health disparities in my communities growing up, right? And so the black and brown folks that I grew up with um, had very different um, access to, to resources, especially mental health, than a lot of the, the white communities um, and spaces that I was educated in, right? And so seeing that from a young age was very clear to me, right? The infrastructure was different, the access was different, the resources were different. Um, and so when I got to, you know, uh, higher ed and, and undergrad, you know, I, I studied more about psychology, something that I had already been interested in, um, but wanting to bring mental health resources and have that impact on communities that I was from, you know, really became um, um, my mission, right? Um, so through undergrad into counseling psych, I chose because of the, the, the values that we have in counseling psychology, social justice, multiculturalism, right? You know, and it was also reflected in the curriculum, but also the faculty members, right? And so, you know, something that I didn't see in other fields as much was, you know, the, the, the values, but also the fact that, you know, I could have faculty of color work directly with me and not just white faculty, which I saw in the majority of other programs um, that I was interested in at the time and at that time was clinical and counseling. And so that is, is kind of how I got wrapped up in, in counseling psychology. Um, in my research during that time, focused, um, focused on the mental health and academic persistence of um, BIPOC individual students of color. Um, so just looking at a lot of you know, things like academic persistence, depression, anxiety, stress levels, um, creating different interventions to kind of you know, improve their mental well-being holistically. Um, and so that's what I carried on into in my faculty position just doing that that same research and stop me if I'm not answering the question but you know so there no this is good yeah yeah, yeah. It, and, it is I was going to actually ask if you wouldn't mind um expanding a little bit on the holistically part <laughs> aspect of that just so that we all understand exactly what you mean by that oh yeah 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 and so a lot of times in um you know the in counseling psych in um academia and things like that you know we focus maybe on one facet of health right and so mental health is huge in it of itself but it's not the only thing right that's connected to um, that's connected to physical health, financial health, right? That's connected to spiritual health, right? So there are these multiple facets of holistic well-being and holistic health. And I think oftentimes we may be focused on one or two, but not all of them, right? And so yeah. research shows that, you know, for us to fully be aligned with ourselves, to feel holistically well, we need to actually attend to all of these pieces. And so my area of research, you know, uh, attempts, you know, to, to kind of pull as many of those pieces together, knowing that if we only talk about physical health and not mental health, right, that that's going to, you know, not be the full picture and, and, and you know, with all the other facets as well. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the work that, you know, I've done and I've done with my colleagues are interventions, right? And so um, a study that I've done um, is, you know, having Black students um, read and write encouragement letters to other Black students mm -hmm. on issues that mm -hmm. they faced and successfully overcome um, in order to, you know, reduce things like uh, depression, anxiety, and stress, but also increase um, academic persistence, um, 
and kind of life satisfaction and things like that. So again, when you attend to that holistic um, uh, aspect of, you know, not just being a student, right, but being a Black student, and then you can add in whatever, you know, intersecting identities there, the more niche and specific you get, you know, the more potential that has to, to really resonate with folks, right? And so we find when we do these sorts of, um, you know, encouragement um, interventions or gratitude interventions and things like that, um, mm -hmm. we really started to have a more positive impact on, on folks that way. Thank you for making that distinction and the focus on counseling psychology. Because I have to say, from my perspective, is that I actually didn't really know about the differences between, say, clinical and counseling. And mm -hmm. in many ways, I saw us as twin. I, I couldn't really tell the differences between the disciplines when we just looked at, at syllabi, and I mm -hmm. wasn't really aware as to what were the differences. Honestly, it wasn't really until I got to like internship, right. and I really was able to see, oh no, yeah, there are uh, <laughs> philosophical differences right. in how, like a lot in the approach, how you approach the sciences is different. There's definitely a lot of overlap, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of differences. Right, right. Yeah. So we have a lot more conversations about kind of the holistic, you know, wellness piece. We, you know, I think we're, whereas at least from my understanding, you know, clinical psych, it's very common, right? You're going to learn CBT, you might learn DBT and, you know, some of these other um, kind of really standardized, um, you know, interventions for, for, um, uh, for treatment, right? For clinical work. Um, and in our uh, counseling programs, we learn those, of course, but we also then learn a lot more about career counseling. We learn a lot more about, you know, the, the issues with, you know, some of the assessments that we learned, right, and how they actually might be perpetuating harm for certain groups, right, because they're normed and created for, for white students or white educated folks, right, and so when you apply that, you know, to, um, you know, black students or brown students or, you know, other groups, right, what are the specific um, things that we should be watching out for to make sure that this is actually applicable and they're uh, valid and reliable for these folks, right, and so, um, uh, yeah, so a lot of conversations about that, but also systems, right? You know, not just the individual from kind of that medical model, you know, person and in, in, in help or person needing help, but also how is the system, right, contributing to, to all of the, the symptoms or the impact um, that, you know, these uh, issues are having on, on an individual. And so we, or at least I've seen that a lot more in counseling psych than I see mm -hmm. maybe in clinical psych talking about, you know, if a person is like a student is experiencing distress, yes, that is, you know, true, right? But it, you know, we're going to talk about, right, the racism that they might be experiencing or, you know, or if they're facing hunger or if they're facing, right, uh, a system in general in the country or in society or in the state that is hostile to them, right? And so these are all kind of conversations that we're trained to have and to be able to explore a much larger array of one's um, life, right, with the client to put it into context as opposed to just a person sitting in front of us. So, yeah, more of a systems perspective. Yeah, I would say from my perspective, I think, and Katie and I went to the same training program. Mm -hmm. and from my perspective, I think it was more like those conversations were starting to occur, perhaps right. on the edges rather than at the center of mm -hmm. it. Rather than, I think I would say, if I was to compare it to counseling, those conversations are, are the, they're the core, they're the center of the issue. Right. I think your your recollection seems right to me. I think because I I'm blurring it a little bit with the program that I taught in. And just kind of the shifts <laughs> yeah, in the field. And so I think it's harder for me to just distinguish that. But I, I think that I think that that's right. I think that counseling and probably marriage and family therapy, certainly social work, are ahead in systems thinking 
Whereas clinical psychology, I hear more of those conversations, but you're right that it's not as much of a, an expressed core value, or at least it wasn't back when we went to grad school yeah, 80 not. years ago, right? Approximately. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so as you were going through your grad program, did you kind of have that goal? Did you, did you from very early on, like your first, second year, you were like, okay, yeah, now I want to go next. Mm-hmm. That was definitely going to be academia or did it emerge? How was that? How was the trip? Yeah, and, and this is the piece that, you know, and I have to chuckle because every time I, I told someone who's known me for a while that I was leaving, you, like, the expressions on their face were shocked, right? And so, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I tell people that this is something that I had planned from early on. So I knew maybe, like, junior year, junior year of undergrad that I wanted to become a faculty member. Um, and so I worked in research labs to get that experience where I got into grad school. Um, and actually, my first meeting with my advisor, my first week in uh, my first my first semester, first year, first week of the program was about, you know, wanting to become a faculty member and him and I sitting down and figuring out, you know, okay, then about how many pubs is that about, you know, what kind of experiences do I need? What kind of training do I currently have? Right. And so I've been very intentional and focused for, you know, a very long time, right. It's not a career path that I stumbled into. It's not something that kind of made sense for me, right. It's something that I worked very hard, you know, for a number of years to, to get to. Um, And so, you know, it wasn't a surprise to me that, you know, I achieved my goal because I'd been working so hard for it. Um, But what ended up being somewhat of a surprise to me and to others is that, you know, I did decide to leave. Right. And even after less than a year after working, you know, um, if you count undergrad as well, over a decade. Right. For the the position. Yeah. So before we get to like Mm -hmm. that point, you're like, okay, I'm leaving. So Mm -hmm. what were the things that were appealing to you? What was Mm -hmm. it that you said? Yeah, this is why were you at junior year? You're like, yeah, that's the life for me. (laughs) Yeah. And so one thing that I, you know, I absolutely love about research is the ability to to help solve issues. Right. And so a lot of the issues that I had mentioned before that I saw in my um, community, right, mental health issues and lack of resources, you know, I was able to start answering some of those questions in my research and to be able to see other researchers, you know, seeing how we can um, implement better infrastructure, how we can, you know, destigmatize mental health, how we can, you know, create these interventions so we can better connect folks to the resources that they need. Right. So I saw initially research and being a faculty member as an avenue to um, uh, move that change along that that mm. I wanted to see, you know, on college campuses, but more importantly, in my communities back home. Um, and then on top of that, right, it was definitely something that the system, right, the academic system, higher ed, you know, really um, put on a pedestal, as we discussed before, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the, the biggest, you write the, the best, right, the holy grail of jobs, tenure track faculty yeah. at an R1 institution, right. And, and that was, you know, something that that seemed just so amazing, right, to be able to have access to grant monies and to be able to do you know this prolific research and um, you know to be able to publish in some of the best journals right and to be able to mentor students um, you know to be able to teach a little bit um, to be able to go to conferences and, and be part of right the the leaders in the in the right. field and hopefully you know in the country to some extent on you know your little niche ish uh, research area right um, and it seemed you know something that like uh, and I bought wholly into that dream right it seemed like mm. it was a great fit I wanted something that I had work-life balance. I wanted to be able to have yeah. summers off. 
um, you know, so used to the academic schedule, the, the idea of going mm-hmm. to a nine to five seemed ridiculous to me. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Right, right. And, but, and the autonomy as well, being able to, mm-hmm. you know, study what I want to study, you know, being right. able to basically, it'd be up to me, right, to make something. And I really liked that, right? I, I liked the idea of being able to just have my program of research, study what I want to mentor students, right? And so it was kind of, um, packaged as this, you can get everything you've ever wanted plus more if you know you you come and work for us as a as a faculty member. So these were the things that you know were were kind of um, sold to me, and I and I bit onto that, you know, and, and I yeah. love the idea of that. Um, so that's those are the reasons why, right? Like um, the main reasons why, um, and you know, a good salary, right? And so I like to be transparent with folks too that you know. Um, my current position at UK, and I mean, I have a public institution, so you can just check my salary, but, you know, I, I make 80K a year, right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, right, coming out of grad school and making a fraction of that, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, you all know how it is, right? Like, it, you know, it's like you go to undergrad, and then it's like no money, and then you go to internship, you got a little bit more money, and then you get a job, and you're like, oh, you know? <laughs> well, 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 I guess I would be treating me to the fancy milk this week. Right, exactly, exactly. So you feel like you made it after all those years. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I and and all of those things I think well Leo Leo is still in academia, but I can mm-hmm. certainly relate to all all of those factors that I think are just are so important and so have so much promise and potential. At what point did you start thinking maybe this wasn't the right pathway for me or this isn't the right pathway for me. Yeah, so I would say it's something that I felt I would probably say um, a couple years in, but something that it was easy for me to dismiss as, oh, just being a graduate student, right? Because the 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 system is really good at letting you believe or, or really selling to us that it's, it's going to be better like once, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, your first couple of years are hard, but once you get it... You know, acclimated, it's going to be better. It's like, okay, dissertation is hard, quals is hard, but once you pass those, it's going to be fine. Oh, okay, when internship is done, it's going to be fine. Okay, once you get your tenure track job, once you get tenure, right? Like the yardstick is is always moving, but it's something that you know, even in my my third year or so, um, you know, feeling really, I mean, feeling overwhelmed in terms of just the the sheer amount of pressure, the sheer amount of um things that we're asked to do. A lot of folks don't know, you know, those who us in the helping profession right. no obviously right but in addition to you know whatever your your setup is right you might be teaching you're doing research on top of that um you know you might be doing some service work right but you're also doing clinical work which might be 10 to 20 hours depending right and so doing all of that right week in week out is a lot right but that is on top of you know a lot of the instances instances of just flat out oppression that myself and other peers and colleagues endure on a daily basis, right? And I think Mm. those are the things that we don't really talk about. There's a lot of research about it, but when we talk about it, you know, in the actual, this is happening in the program, the department at the school, people get really uncomfortable and they don't want to talk about it, right? And so, you know, I think that that ended up being a lot of the stuff that me and my colleagues and peers really faced was, you know, just blatant discrimination, right? You know, being looked down upon, um, compared to our white peers, right? You know, I, I have many, many instances of direct and, and vicarious 
um, racism or other forms of oppression that have happened by, you know, uh, by um, faculty members, by, by instructors, mm-hmm. right, by administrators, right, you know, people who make you feel that at the end of the day that, you know, you're, you've been recruited to make the, the system look diverse and to look good, mm-hmm. right, but the infrastructure mm-hmm. for you to succeed is not there. It's not there at all, right? And and when you try to say like, hey, these are issues that we're having, can you help us address it, right? You get gaslit and people telling you that, you know, no, these things aren't happening to you. And it's like, mm. you know, no, these things are happening. You just don't want to talk about it, right? Because oftentimes, right, the optics of the system, you know, to me, in my opinion, are much more important to universities than to actually take care of their students, their staff, and their faculty. And I think, again, that was something that I felt and I experienced, but I told myself, right, once I get past all these hurdles, I won't have to deal with these issues anymore. And that's not true, right? And and even as a faculty member, I still had to deal with, you know, it was much better, I would say, in a lot of respects, but they were still there. Wow. Okay. So yes, lots to unpack. Her colleagues talk about his experiences. My my own reaction, I'll speak for myself, is to say, well, I'm, I'm, I, need to, I need to get myself more organized. I need to be better about managing right. my time. Exactly. I need to be, I, so my first, my first instinct is to kind of see, what am I doing exactly. wrong? Right. And what it sounds like uh, for you is that there's an experience that you kind of had that moment, but then you're like, no, 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 there's it's more than that. So maybe can you talk a little bit about that? How was that realization? What was that, what was that process like? Curious about that, that process and those incidents that kind of just... And you turn away from like, okay, it's me versus, in, in your words, like being as a system of oppression. Yeah. So I would say, you know, similar in my first couple of years in the program, I had that, you know, what a lot of folks refer to as imposter syndrome or imposterism, right? So the idea of feeling like a fraud, right? And so I felt like that. Um, probably in the earlier days, you know, is the idea of like, oh, is it, is it me, right? Am I not smart enough? Am I not doing the work? Am I not, right? But I would meet with my, you know, advisors and every single time, um, you'd be like, no, you're doing, you know, well, right? You know, like you're, you're doing very well, right? But then I would go to, to conferences or sometimes, you know, I'd be in classes with um, certain um, more like, you know, I'd say more adjunct faculty that I, I didn't know as personally. And, you know, they would say just blatantly racist stuff, right? Or they would, you know, or, or you know, know, a a more um, explicit kind of example um, is like I had a supervisor my my first year, not a clinical supervisor, but one on campus that supervised um, like a research kind of thing that I was doing. Um, And, you know, this and this was a a white woman and and she routinely would uh, like use really problematic language to refer to to students of color. Right. Would would, um, Mm -hmm. you know, at at times I remember her asking me if I was like afraid of her because she was like an authority figure, which is like a stereotype that black folks don't like authority figures like cops and police. Right. Um, And not her taking on the fact that like I'm uncomfortable around you because like I view you as a really unsafe race this person right but uh-huh. she's interpreting it as me right having some sort of like issue with her because of her position right and and so a lot right. of these types of things that you have to navigate but as a as a student you don't have the power to say anything about this right because these are folks that you need letter of recommendations for or at the very least you need them not to be hostile towards you because you know people can and sometimes will retaliate against you right in academic systems right um and so you know experiencing these these things right but then also seeing my peers experience these, these things on a on a daily basis right from from um, faculty members from administrators right you know people often put in their place right um you know uh um in in kind of these like like shut down in classes right or, or and, and just you know again i could 
Um, I can be more specific if you would like, but it's just, you know, I, I assume you all at least have some familiarity with some of the things that I'm talking about because you've been through these systems, right? But it's it's oftentimes students not really having a voice and not really, you know, having the agency to be able to speak up for themselves or, or for their peers about what's truly going on in an effort to fix what's going on without, you know, the system and folks in the system, you know, really coming at you really directly and really hardly um, and knowing that these folks are the gatekeepers for the profession. These folks are the gatekeepers for the entire system, right? Um, that it's only so much that you can you can truly do if, if the folks you're talking to or working with aren't receptive and wanting to do that change themselves. And, and so you were saying, you, it sounds like you started kind of seeing these, you know, flashes here and there while you were still in grad school, basically right. like, okay, I'm still going for it, but, but then you're like, okay, this is, there's some weird things happening here that right. certainly feel racist, you know, right. Like, yeah frankly racist and, and or oppressive in some way or and you know at be, you know at worst and at best uncomfortable and just really kind of weird right right dress right about being singled out okay yeah and then you continue reaching towards academia nonetheless right. okay right and so and so again because these you know at the end of the day you know I experienced those things, but I was like, you know, I'm also, I grew up black in this country. That's not like this is new for me. Right? And so it's unfortunate, right. but like, you know, I can get through these things. Right. And so, and I, and I was able to, but I think one of the, the biggest moments for me that um, ended up, I think, planting the biggest seed for me in terms of my exit was during my internship. Um, and I, you know, and a lot of us who have done internships, I think we've heard certain stories, right, that folks come to epiphanies or <laughs> during these times, but it was, it was the, you know, it was a really unique year, right? So I'm, I'm on internship during the 2020-21 year. Um, we're fully virtual, right? The world is blowing yeah. up, right? This is yeah. BLM. This is, right? Yeah, this, yeah. I mean, this is, right. And it seems like so long ago. Moment. Right. But this is, you know, this is the, the, the storming of the, the Capitol, right? All these things are, are going on. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on in my own right. personal life, right? Let alone being at, you know, internship for 40 plus hours a week, trying to finish my dissertation, trying to get a job, X, Y, and Z. Um, and it got to a point, um, I, you know, just being just amongst all that, you know, context, it was my, it was the day after, the day after I defended my dissertation, which was in February mm -hmm. of last year. Um, and uh, to make a long story short, I ended up being admitted to the hospital um, because I apparently have an underlying health condition that I did not know about that, you know, was clearly exacerbated by the stress and the pressure. And, you know, we don't need to get into the details, but internship was not a great time. Um, it, was, mm. it, was a, it was a very just atrocious, like a lot of racism, a lot of oppression every single day. Um, very exploitative, right? And, you know, if you want to have another conversation about internships and why I think they're problematic and whatever, you know, feel free to, yeah, to that, that, back. That is kind of almost like its own topic sometimes. I've, right. I've definitely and, have seen threats on that, but yeah, sorry. This sorry is, no, 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 it's okay. And this is from the supervisors and faculty and staff that you interacted with that you had these experiences? Right. So, um, so the ones that mm -hmm. I talked about before, yes. And then the ones mm -hmm. at internship as well. Right. So mm -hmm. again, this is all going on while, you know, I have my university at the time, right. Doing my internship university, sending all the boilerplates, like we stand with BLM and this side and the other. Mm -hmm. And you have people that you go to work with who are literally like microaggressing you and being blatantly racist, right? Like it's a really yeah. weird yeah. kind of thing. Um, and 
And then, so I was in the hospital, but the, the underlying health condition, the doctors were telling me, you know, like, yo, like you almost died. Like, this is pretty serious stuff, right? Like it's not, you know, this isn't, you know, so I was in the hospital for about a week. I was up at Hopkins um, for about a week and I had a lot of time to just sit and just think about my life. Like, what am I doing? You know, it, you know, is this system really um, one that I want to be in, right? Is this something that actually allows for my, me to take care of myself and my communities and, you know, to take care of the students mm-hmm. and, and all these other things. And, you know, it was something that by the end of it, you know, I was, I was in the, I was in the camp of, I'm not really sure. Like it was the first time that I really sat with all the pieces that I had, you know, kind of mentioned before and said, like, it's easy to say like, oh, these things happen every once in a while. But when you actually stop and think about it, I was like, no, this happens every day. And, this, and it's been happening every day for about a decade of your experience in, in academia. Is it really going to change? Right. But at that point, you know, I, you know, I, I came back to work and all that kind of stuff. I was still on this trajectory of the academic life. And I said, you know what, let me, let me try it out. Let me figure it out. Right. You know, maybe it was because of all these contextual factors. Once I get done with school, once I get done with, you know, internship, I will feel better. Right. And you know, the same thing is once you, you move the line, you'll feel better on the other side. Right. Um, and then, you know, I finished internship. I did feel great. Right. Because that is a lot of work. And so to go from that to doing a lot less work, it did feel good. Um, and I chose UK, right. Because the faculty members, right. Are are really fantastic. Right. My colleagues are really fantastic. They, um, you know, allowed me to really, for the first time in an academic system, show up as fully myself, I felt like, right. To be able to say what I wanted, how I wanted to say it, regardless of whether or not it was, you know, critical or constructive or what have you. And so I, saw that while I was applying. And so I was like, okay, well, I haven't really been at an institution like this that has so many great faculty members who aren't just talking about social justice, but for my opinion, are doing a lot towards changing. And so I was like, okay, this is a place where I could do a lot of good, right? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, my first um, couple of weeks, that's how I felt, right? I was really excited, right? I've been working so hard. I'm taking pictures in my office, right? I'm being, you yeah. know, just doing all the, the things, archetype, right? yeah, yeah. Right. You know, just hanging up my degrees, having just a great old time, you know, folks that call me doctor and I'm, you know, I'm just having a great time. <laughs> um, but slowly over time, a lot of those issues came back and not in the form anymore of me experiencing the, the, the um, oppression directly, but vicariously through my students, right? And so I would have students who are constantly um, whether it be trauma that they're carrying from undergrad or stuff that they experience in grad school, the system is clearly traumatizing my students, right? And it, and it felt really weird because I felt like I went from being in a position of the oppressed to the oppressor. And it mm. really it really like tore me up inside. Like I couldn't do it because it's like, I, I know exactly what you're like, the students are experiencing because I was just there a couple of months ago. Now I'm protected from a lot of this because I'm on this side, but I'm still part of the system and I'm hired to protect the system, to make the system look good, to make the system make money. And it was too much um, cognitive dissonance, right, for me. And it was either like, I'm going to have to shut some of this down and just be a part of the system and, you know, accept these everyday kind of things that don't sit right with my spirit, or I'm going to have to leave. So that's when I eventually was like, you know what, like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I even woke up, you know, two days before the start of the spring semester having a panic attack because I did Uh, not want to go back. Right. And it was clear to me that it's like, 
I don't like being in the system. I feel oppressed by, I feel like I'm oppressing other people. And like, it just didn't sit right with me or my ethics anymore. And instead of, you know, just pushing, the, like kicking the can down the road and say, well, you know, let me try until tenure and let me try, you know, like a lot of my colleagues were kind of telling me as I was telling them, I was right. thinking about leaving. I was like, no, I, I need to leave. I just need to leave. And, and as soon as I made that mm-hmm. choice, I felt relieved. I felt good. I felt excited. And it was like, a thousand pounds just lifted off my shoulders. That was awesome. That was great. I, I love the, the stream. That was that, that took me through to a very nice trip. And a few things that stick out is you keep mentioning this kind of the, the kind of the shifting goalposts, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's certainly something. It's, it's a motif that I've been hearing a lot from a lot of colleagues. And I just before this, I was having lunch with uh, a colleague who is also living in academia. But I asked her, "Is like, do you feel any relief?" And that was it. Like it feels. She said, "I didn't think I would, but it was like." just a huge sense right. of relief afterwards. One thing that I have heard from different people and talking about when I was leaving academia myself and just others I've spoken to is this kind of conflict that can arise between wanting to stay and change the system. Mm. And I think that what yeah, from what yeah. you're saying, I think a lot of people, maybe myself included, stay too long because right. of feeling guilty about leaving. Right. It sounds like you really, um, once the decision was made, it was relief. It wasn't that sense mm. of guilt or anything like that. Were there certain factors that helped you to see like, oh, I can, I can do more of what's consistent with my values and help more people do, do you know, take care of my health mm. outside. If I leave the system versus I try to change this system, was that mm-hmm. ever a debate in your mind? That's a, that's a great question. Yes. Yeah. Um, all, all of those things. Right. Because I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, I, I feel like I have survivor's guilt um, from being able to get through the end of my program and still have enough energy to feel like I could do a good job as a, a faculty member. Right. Because I've seen a lot of the people I came in with, whether they be in my field or other fields, who knew just like me that they wanted to be a faculty member, right? And a lot of those folks, a lot of them women, a lot of them women of color, a lot of them black women that I'm in community with, based on all the stuff that they've they've dealt with, they're like, no, there's absolutely no way that I'm gonna keep trying to push my way through the system. And so they left, right? And so <laughs> for me, it was something that I, I endured, but also still had joy and excitement around. Um, and so in my mind, it's like, okay, well, let me then do it for those folks, right? And let me do it for the folks coming up who would benefit from having someone like me as an advisor, as a mentor, right? And so I felt that I owed it to the system and I felt like I owed it to those who were still trapped in the system to to help them see their way through the system, right? Um, And also too, I mean, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with like these kind of different organizations, but, you know, I was someone who was part of McNair Scholars, right? So that's a program directly related to this, you know, I'm a Ford fellow, right? I'm a, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, organizations that I'm a part of, their entire mission is to diversify the academy by having someone like myself become a faculty member, right? And so all of that, right, is on my shoulders while I'm making these decisions. Um, and, And to your point, right, it got to a point where it was, you know, I'm not living within my values and my ethics, right, if I choose to stay here? And what am I then role modeling for everyone else, whether that be my peers and my students, right? 
And I also thought that I could do much more by leaving, right? Because there's a lot that I can say where I feel more comfortable saying now that I'm leaving and probably even more once that I'm officially gone because the repercussions, you know, I don't feel those, right? You know, you're going to fire me? I already quit, right? Like, are you going to, you know, sure, you can come for me on, you know, on Twitter or whatever. But at the end of the day, my money, my financial, my well-being, my career isn't tied up anymore in the system that when you're critiquing it, right? Sometimes they ignore you and sometimes they really come hard for you, right? And I've seen a lot of Mm. faculty members who have essentially been fired or like been put so much pressure or strife in their way that essentially they're fired, right? Even though like, you know, they're not, right? Like they're punished so severely for just talking, for just saying the truth, which is this system Mm. does not help everyone. This system isn't for everyone, right? You know, this system hurts those with marginalized identities for just saying some of those things you could get punished, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was another reason why, you know, I, I really realized that by leaving, I could be giving so much more to the system, but more importantly to my students um, than I could by staying and saying, you know what, it's going to be better, you know, stick it through X, Y, and Z. You can be everything you can be or you want to be, right, while I'm still here, right? Like I'm saying, all oh, this system, I see all these issues, but I'm still part of it, right? And so mm-hmm. let me, let me leave. Let me really embody, right, what I'm encouraging you all to do, um, or at least consider doing, right? Um, And let's see what happens, right? And, and, you know, we'll we'll see in a year, in two years or whatever. I I know that I picked the right choice. But again, it's nice for them to be able to just see someone else actually doing it. And I've had a lot of students, you know, now considering because they didn't really think that that was a a option. And especially right in helping professions, it's clinical work or it's faculty. There's nothing in between. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just having students being able to ask me these questions and to make more informed decisions, that's ultimately what I want right, is for students to be able to come in and actually do what they want to make informed decisions, as opposed to just kind of getting on a track that someone else has laid out for them. So that, that's a perfect segue, perhaps. Um, did you have a plan already that where you kind of, so I'm always, I, this is me, and then I'll, uh, as, a, as a fellow immigrant, I'll say like, so you always going to have a, a plan B right. and a plan C, because it's like, you just never know, it's just going to fall apart. Did you, were you already working on a, on a plan as you were going, or all of a sudden it was this moment of clarity and you're like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. And then you decided to start the and walk. Yeah, a little bit of both. So before I had officially made that decision about leaving, it was, you know, I had kind of kicked the can down the road and say, okay, I'll wait until tenure and I'll figure it out then. So, you know, my plan was to right, do the faculty thing. But, you know, at that point, I already had a business that I, you know, launched it during internship, right, Liberate the Block, which focuses on the, you know, basically empowering BIPOC communities through um, mental health and, and academics, right? And we do a host of, of, of different things. Um, but that was something that at that point, I wasn't really planning on doing much more of, right? So, you know, I had published a book, had published a course, right, and things like that. But I was just planning on letting that kind of sit and do its thing. Um, but when I made yeah. the 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 shift to move away from academia, then it it made logical sense that I was going to just go full-time on the business. Um, And so it made sense that I already kind of had, at least for the the work piece, already had something in place. Um, And I will say too, right, you know, given my uh, situation, why it works, right? Like I have a partner, my partner is also in academia. Mm -hmm. um, And so, you know, even on her salary alone, right, we would be okay. 
right? And so that in itself also made it easier of a decision for me. Um, and actually, initially, you know, she was going to move to uh, Lexington with me to move in with me. And I had decided to move <laughs> um, right to Pittsburgh with her. Um, so that so we essentially just switch roles, right? Um, Got it. Um, but so having that financial piece also then did make it much easier, right, for me to, to take risks um, um, and to be able to invest, right, my savings that I have that I've been saving for quite some time into the business, right? And so I also wanted to be clear to folks too that it's not just me by myself, right? I'm able to do this because I have, um, you know, uh, partner support, but also like my family was super cool about it. Like they didn't push back too much on it. And, you know, my friends have, have been really good, but that holistic support really allowed allowed me to feel comfortable and confident putting all my, you know, eggs more or less into my business and being able to take this risk, um, you know, that I might fail, but being okay with that, knowing that at the end of the day, I'm still going to be happier trying this and potentially failing than I would staying in the system just to make, you know, someone else's dreams uh, happen, right, and not attending to my own dreams and my own well-being. Thanks for including that context. I think that, uh, again, your transparency is just so useful for, for people to understand Super. their options and all of that. Can you tell us more about your business? I'd love to hear more about Liberate the Block and, and some of the main missions that you have with it. Yeah, so Liberate the Block, or LTB as I often call it, um, we're focused on, right, empowering BIPOC communities to essentially, right, achieve their wildest dreams, right? And that is intentionally broad, right, because we want at LTB to give, um, you know, students, communities, um, folks, the, the resources, right, to be able to make their own choices, right? And so research shows that when you give people the tools and you allow them to make their own choices, they tend to make good choices choices for themselves and they tend to know what they want and what they need better than right a lot of us in the academy and then the way that we conduct research which again is a whole nother thing right but it's oftentimes you know us researchers we know what's right and we go into communities and we kind of push that upon folks right and it's, okay. if you give folks the tools they often know what the issues are right yes they might need some a little bit of help to scale things or to implement things but at the end of the day right we need to give the power back to the people and allow them to make their own informed decisions decisions, right? And so in academia, um, there's a lot of resource hoarding, right? In between institutions, within institutions, between fields, right? All that kind of stuff. But the biggest issue that I find is that there's a huge discrepancy between the resources that universities have and that communities have, right? And a lot of these institutions, right, especially the public ones, I know that they're not fully funded, right, by taxpayer dollars and, and whatnot, but they have a lot of the, the state school um, or the state students going there, right? They have, a, they still have a lot of money from, you know, the government and things like that there. And you can't even access the research articles that we write right like as a community right. member right it doesn't yeah. make sense and even if you could physically access them you wouldn't be able to understand them anyway because they're written in the super jargonistic language right and mm -hmm. so after a while we really had to and i had to ask myself you know who are we really helping, right? Are we helping the mm -hmm. systems? Are we helping the publishing companies? Are we helping, right, the business, which is academia, even though we talk about it as, as if it's there to educate 
people, right? It's there to make money first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? And so those are the people who most benefit from our research and our infrastructures, not the, the communities, not, you know, the reason why I came was to help my communities. And I realized I wasn't really doing that as much as I could if I were to maybe step out and provide a, a, a resource or resources so that community members can actually ask, access them and utilize them, right? And so with LTB, we have book publishing, right? So we're trying to elevate and empower those with marginalized identities to tell their own stories. Um, and whether that be, you know, something about their own lives, whether that be fictional, a child's book, right? Whatever, right? Um, we also have um, online courses. And so both asynchronous um, and we're moving towards uh, um, synchronous courses and live coaching as well to talk about a lot of the issues that um, we're talking about today, right? So students have that informed um, uh, decision from the very beginning, right? So a course that we have right now is called Developing a Graduate School Thrive Mindset, which is all the things that I did from day one, as we kind of briefly talked about before, that got me prepared to be a faculty member, um, right? But there, it's applicable to steps are applicable to any uh, uh, profession, essentially, right? Um, And then the third arm is really just consultation, right? So, you know, anti-racism work, social justice work, DEI work, right? We're going to be working with different um, programs, whether they be helping professions or, you know, higher ed um, institutions to go in there and to be able to give them, you know, feedback as consultants on how to improve their organizations for their students, staff, and faculty, right? And so we have a lot of other kind of longer term goals, but that's kind of like the the basic thing that we're focused on right now with LTP. Right. Yeah, I, I just want to echo what you mentioned regarding the role of research and how siloed it can be. Mm-hmm. And you know the paradox that the taxpayers who are funding that research most of them do not or cannot access it freely, and the, the need to, if you will, kind of just open those floodgates somehow. It's one of the the, the, the you know the things that I remember. There's always kind of this gatekeeping to research in a way that is not helpful, and then perhaps pushes people out into out of the academia into the real world to kind of create that bridge. So. Right. I do want to kind of, if I can, I go back a little bit um, because you, you, and we'll retweet your, your quitting letter if that's okay with you uh, <laughs> whenever we do the episode. But it, it, it caught my attention. You said um, that uh, you, you mentioned enjoying your time at, at UK immensely. I see it was mm-hmm. a corrective experience in many ways to other universities um, that, that you have been. And mm-hmm. can you explain that a little bit more? How, how was it corrective? And, and I think you alluded to it earlier, but I don't know if, it sounded like it was a little bit of a positive corrective, but yes. ultimately ended up being a, it ultimately being the catalyst also for you to leave. So, right, right, tell me right. about that. Yeah. Right, right, and yeah. So I've been you know very clear to to folks and to my colleagues as well as right. You know, I'm not leaving UK out of anger right out of oh this place did me wrong this place sucked I can't believe no not like that at all I genuinely enjoyed my time at UK I got to do you know the 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 professor thing right in a lot of ways it almost felt like a postdoc right it felt like an you know like a you know, I tried something out. It had a lot of the things that I was looking for in terms of the flexibility, the autonomy, right? And a lot of the issues that we were just talking about, you know, I love doing research. I absolutely love doing research, you know, designing studies. I could do that all day, every day. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do have a lot of issues in how, you know, the the journal articles have so much power over what is published, how it's published, who publishes it, right? To me, it's a really Mm -hmm. unjust system. And again, as we talked about, 
we're making them billions of dollars a year while you know none of us are compensated for that and and none of the communities that a lot of our research is you know designed to help aren't benefiting from it right so it it, it you know it didn't really um sit well with me and so but that's not anything specific to UK, right? Um, you know, as I mentioned before, at UK, a lot of the faculty that I work alongside, they don't just talk about social justice, right? Their research specifically, um, you know, a lot of two of my colleagues, right, uh, Dr. Candace Hargon and Dr. Dr. Daniel Stephen Watkins, they've been doing so much great research in the community, right, in Kentucky, where they're mm -hmm. going and they're helping um, alleviate a lot of the, the, the racism, a lot of the, the racial trauma, a lot of, like, Inform, uh, um, uh, like studies with breastfeeding and um, infant uh, mortality, right? Like these are really, you know, important things, right? And so to work alongside folks who are doing this work day in, day out is amazing. Right. Um, and, you know, in faculty meetings and staff meetings, right, a lot of the issues that I have, these critiques, right, my colleagues have heard me say these things, right. Um, you know, this isn't, you're right, the first time I'm saying these things and, and whatnot, right. Like they know that these issues are, you know, there and they're openly talking about how to address it, right. And, and so that has been really great for me because I've worked at other institutions where, right, they, you know, folks say something, but they do something very different, right. And so I feel like at UK, there's a concerted effort and a lot of work beyond, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're genuinely moving towards the social justice um, work. And it's not just a buzzword. It's not just something to attract people here, but it's something we're actually doing. And so to see people do that, that was the corrective part for me. However, because it was still in this large, slow, clunky institution that is higher ed and not specific to UK at all, right, it's still not enough for me it's still too right. slow, right? The goalpost is, yeah, okay, we see these issues, but because we have to get checks by like 50,000 people just to implement a single, what everyone here agrees is a needed change, right? We have to get the chair and the dean and the provost and the, depending on right what the change is, it's too slow, right? People mm. need help today, right? Mm. I'm, not, I'm not trying to work for people who need help five years from now. I wanna help the people who are in front of me today. And I feel like mm -hmm. for me to really help change the system, I need to leave the system um, and do it more from the outside. That's so interesting because I feel like I've been having the same conversation at different levels, you know, with different people in different systems. I, I wonder, and this is a prompted question that was prompted as, as you were mentioning, because it sounds like you had a supportive senior faculty mm -hmm. at UK and especially senior faculty of color. You probably have experienced those same things in, you know, arguably at times that was perhaps even more blatant. Mm -hmm. more in the open and so i'm wondering if you had conversations with them you know as they saw you making the decision as a younger faculty mm -hmm. uh, because they went through you know what i mean like they they went right. through it they, they right. kept going through the goalposts and they got to that promised land so i wonder if you had conversations with them as to whether they looked at it like just hang on in there a little bit longer it'll get better or they're like no you're the right i wish i had done that before because i wonder how much the the uh, 2020, I'm just going to spell it that right. way, how much 2020 and everything that year acted as an accelerant for people to mature in ways and to realize something that you alluded to earlier, which was you can have this moment of clarity, like it's like, this is not worth, this is not where I want to spend my time and efforts on, right. that maybe other cohorts just didn't have those historical moments that kind of acted right. as an accelerant. Right. So I wonder if you had these conversations with them. Yeah, we did. So a lot of, of what 
um, I guess I'll share now would be more of my, and I'll, I'll clarify when it's like things that they said versus my interpretation of things, right. To make that more clear, because I I did have conversations with them and um, they're really supportive, right. Um, You know, some more surprised than others. Um, Some were like, yeah, I'm not as that surprised that you're leaving just based on like who I am and you know, how, you know, um, the, the, at least what I hear a lot from folks is that I I truly, you know, do what I say I'm going to do. And I'm truly like Mm -hmm. a social justice oriented person if I see an issue I'm at least going to attempt to address it right and I think that that's been true of me since I was a a kid um, and something instilled in me by my mom Um, but you know there are some folks who are surprised and there are some folks who you know try to get me to stay right Mm -hmm. and so there initially talks you know amongst my my program and with the chair and I think it might have gone up to like the dean and I'm not sure if it went higher than that trying to figure out a way that I could maybe stay right uh, another year or you know or if there's a change in my you know my my um, my duties right you know something to fit yeah to fit a bit more of like you know what I'm trying to accomplish at UK maybe that you know will will work out um ended up not really going anywhere but it's something that I entertained for a while um um but you know what I and so those were you know kind of more the factual things the things that I kind of more inferred were more you know um, owning again my my positionality as someone who right um, you know I'm married but I'm not I don't have kids right and mm-hmm. so that also made it really easy whereas most of my colleagues older than my, myself they have kids they have families right and so you know being able to take a risk Got like it. this is very easy when you're really just worried about yourself and like your wife and like your two cats right uh, <laughs> versus when you know and the cats like, really take care of themselves a lot exactly of the time. right 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 the cats are pretty self-sufficient right so it's much <laughs> easier to make that decision given that context but you know I, i've seen again from my perception that i i think a lot of folks did see that and and see maybe like some sort of loss right in terms of the, the loss of the opportunity um, in their lives to be able to go and do something that i think a lot of my colleagues absolutely phenomenal researchers would do really well if their, you know, their programmer research was a bit more, you know, like an LLC or business facing, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, and I have plans in the future to work alongside a lot of them to kind of, you know, because um, I'm, I'm leaving academia, but like, I'm still a researcher. I'm still a counseling psychologist. You know, I still love and appreciate the, the work. And so I'm, I do plan to work with them moving forward, right? But being able to do it 100% on my own terms with the increased autonomy, flexibility, right? That is something that I think when I talk to them, you can tell that, you know, there, there's a little bit of, I guess, FOMO, right? Like it, it, mm-hmm. not even fear of missing it, but just, just a loss, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they know the issues that are there, right? As faculty members, it's not great you know like it like it 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 is better than being a student in a lot of ways yes you have power but at the end of the day you realize that you now just have 15 more bosses right you realize that you know you're 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 evaluated you know on these really minute ways that are really arbitrary right and like honestly who are they helping right with all these formalities right like and you get it right (laughs) trust me i just finished my tpr process again and i'm like right why am I? Why am I having to explain myself right. over and over and over? Yeah. Right, and every week there's a new student issue. Every week there's a new crisis. Yeah. Every week there's a new. It just never the work. Like you can't even focus to do the thing you're actually hired to do right. because there's 50 other things every week that you have to do. Right, and so that's the stuff that most faculty members don't like and don't miss. Right, and so me being able to cut that out. Right, when I'm talking to them, I can tell that like, yeah, of course, you know, there's a little bit of, you know. Um, 
desire for them to, to have that as well, I would say, but ultimately very supportive, um, you know, and, and the cool thing is with a lot of my colleagues, I would say that, you know, for the ones I've gotten closer to, I'm actually friends with them, right, and I think that that's something that is, at least for me, a bit atypical, right, like I have colleagues, I have people that I work with, and I have friends, sometimes they overlap, but most of the time they don't, and so a lot of the, the colleagues that I have at UK are people that I'm still, you know, in contact with and will be in contact with after I leave the university. Because it seems like no matter what, people in different stages, kind of your early career. Right. But people, you know, the people that I had lunch today, they were, one had just gotten tenure and she's like punching out. And another mm. one was, you know, thinking about sabbatical or being there. She said almost a lot of the same themes. Right. Up. And so this has been a, a very nice way to crystallize everything. Very, very helpful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm like, am, am I questioning my choices again? <laughs> I, I can see, Leo, that this is evoking some thoughts <laughs> yeah, you. Somehow this yeah. is working as motivational interview and I'm like, oh, yeah. I see myself shifting, yeah. re-contemplation, oh, oh, we're back in <laughs> contemplation here. <laughs> and it's, I, the clinical piece that you mentioned, I think, is a good point, too, that because um, Leo has a private practice mm -hmm. too, um, and I I do clinical work and research, and I think that you're right though that there are a lot of there's a lot of need in a lot of spaces for psychologists mm -hmm. and for people who understand research and, right. and making resources available, and so I think even that having those models for students is huge because. Right. For a lot of time, it really is mostly professors and maybe, mm -hmm. you know, a few that went into some kind of therapy or clinical work. Mm -hmm. And so even by doing that, I, I can see the significance that has for people. And that's what I'm hoping, too, with this episode, that more students out there who are unsure can hear or mm -hmm, other right. people anywhere in their career can hear your story and, and how you've come to this and the important work that you are able to do, value consistent, good for your health. Mm -hmm. um, that is outside of what we typically are presented with as options. So thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. I wonder if you have any advice for individuals who are thinking of, or in academia mm -hmm. and are considering leaving it for another interest or career. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the first thing, and this is what I've been telling my students is you know, really spend the time to think about your own values and what you want in life, right? And, and not the things that you think your advisor or the system or society want, like what is really true for you and move in that direction, right? Because if you don't identify that, right, you're going to just be living someone else's path, right? And so I like to tell folks, right, create your own lane and stay in it right? You know, you're going to get pushback from different sources. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to live with your life, right? And so, you know, I would encourage you to really pay attention to those holistic values and move closer to those. If it is academia for some folks, great, right? Mm -hmm. I have no issue with that. You know, my goal isn't to stop folks from going into academia or to not get, you know, educated and things like that. My, my goal is just for folks to be able to make an informed decision and also not have to, you know, um, go through so much pain, right, to, to make a lot of these um, uh, changes in the impact with our research that we're, we're wanting to, or just our careers in general. And, and to your point, 
you know, earlier, right? Psychologists, especially, we have so much great training that we need to be in other fields, right? We need to be in other mm-hmm. settings, right? Like I see a lot of the issues that, you know, that we all see with, with poverty and, and healthcare and, you know, financial instability and, and inequities and all this kind of stuff. If psychologists were in some of these rooms, I feel like we could do a good job steering the, you know, the society in certain, in better ways, right? But if we're all in healthcare or if we're all in, you know, in, in the in the um, academic field, then we're not even sharing a lot of our skills and understanding folks, working with folks, right? Being able to diffuse tension, being able to have you know intense conversations about differences and issues, right? We are the best trained to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you know uh, there's a field for, or if there's a career goal for you that matches your you know your expertise in your work with maybe some other passion that you have, then maybe that's a better fit, right? And maybe that can help then make it so the job, you know, uh, 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 the job prospects are better for everyone because the it's not just clinical and it's not just counseling, right? Because you have a lot of people who are in jobs who clearly don't want to be there, right? I know a lot of faculty mm-hmm. members who don't want to do, don't want to be faculty right. members, right? For, for, and they might be there for, the, you know, for a lot of reasons, not to judge their reasons, but I want them to be able to, to that be something that is a good fit for them um, holistically, right? And so that's really what I would encourage folks is to take that time, think about your values, make a plan for yourself and look into other jobs outside of the academy, right? A lot of um, companies, especially tech companies, but even law firms, even businesses are looking for people with our skill set, right? Um, who can, you know, analyze data and do qualitative work and do quantitative work and understand how people, you know, function and all that, right? We're really needed. Um, and so if we just apply those skills to these other professions, I think that there'll be a much better fit and we can take care of our, our lives holistically, right? Because I don't think anyone wants to live and breathe academia, right? All day, every day, as if that's all we are, right? But if you are in the system long enough, that's what oftentimes it, it forces out of us, right? And so, you know, it, it, it's something that I really want folks to know what they're getting into and not just walk into a path that someone else laid out for them. So that would be kind of my, my biggest advice is, is think about what you truly want and do your best to move towards that, even if it's something that you might get some pushback from others about. Awesome. That's great. That's really good advice. I think one of the things that I wonder if this came up for you at all, I think that um, often, and I, I know this came up for me and other people I've spoken to, I, I was talking to a former colleague who left academia after becoming a full professor, mm. is the fear of not having the same kind of job security that comes mm. with tenure. And yet, I think, to your point, there are a lot of spaces where we can get jobs, even if there's not a tenure associated with it, that right. there is a different type of job security for many people and that there's need and that there are people who want the skills of psychologists. Right. 100%. Right. And I think because we don't have that training, we don't know that. Right. Because we're trained, excuse me, for one or two jobs at most, it feels like. Right. We don't have the business training. We don't have the consultation training a lot of times. Like these are things that some of us kind of pick up along the way, but most of us don't, right? But if we had a broader, you know, even just access to those resources, we would then probably see a better path for our, our, um, ourselves than just, right, again, in the helping professions, the clinical route or, or the faculty route. That's great. I think that's great. Is there anything else, Katie, that you think you may want to cover or you want to cover? Anything else that you think, is there anything we forgot to ask? I'm not, I'm no psychologist, but is there anything, <laughs> is there anything, anything else? That you think? 
important you like to say that we forgot to ask no thank you right. <laughs> thank you so so much nelson i it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you